Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the Early Parenting Podcast. In today's episode, I got the chance to interview the beautiful Lisa Crochet Boyce, who is the founder and CEO of Bad Mums Club. Now, Bad Mums Club is an online club that Lisa created to help break the mold about what a good I say in inverted commas, mum looks like. And she shares the side of motherhood that we're just not talking enough about. I absolutely adored this interview with Lisa. Her passion is infectious. So Lisa's a motivational speaker. She is a mother of two and she's a Beyond Blue ambassador. And we talk about all things motherhood, all things about how she's trying to break the stigma on mental health and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly, bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. All right. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast. I'm pretty excited to have you on here today. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to dive into it. You know, I'm very passionate about this topic. Been doing so much chatting. Um, We've hit record and I actually can't wait to talk about half the stuff that we've spoken about today. It's going to be a good one. I know it. We kick off by you introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're all about. Okay, well, my name is Lisa Crochet Boyce. It is a mouthful, um, but that's my name. Uh, And for people who really struggle with it, I kind of break it down into phonetics. Crochet is like crow and shay, yes, like the knitting, and then you'll be fine. So I just start off by saying that's my name. I am a wholehearted businesswoman. I am a heart-led entrepreneur, motivational speaker, workshop facilitator, Beyond Blue ambassador, and the founder of an online community, Bad Mums Club. Look at you, girl. That is like such an awesome intro and I love that so much. Tell me a little bit about what Bad Mums Club is all about. Essentially, it's an online community where we talk about the warts and all version of motherhood and I guess it all started when I was a stay-at-home mum for four and a half years and I was really struggling with the version of motherhood that I had. Like I didn't subscribe to this version of motherhood and I couldn't really find, even though I had a great mother's group and supportive friends and loving family, I couldn't really find an online community where we could talk about all of the stuff, all of the physical, mental, emotional things that come with with motherhood and I really didn't feel like there was a lot of honest conversation around the impact it has on your mental health because we know it's a really stigmatized subject and so when I couldn't find one 
I created my own. And we are almost two years into the journey and we have an amazing community, but there is one rule and it's that you don't need the disclaimer, but I love my kids. You can lead into however you're feeling, whatever you want to say, because I'm telling you, I do. And you don't need, but I love my kids. Like we all know you love your kids. That's fine. But can we get to what we're really here for and stop playing around? We do a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of online conversations, but I also host in-person events and workshops. Uh, I have a podcast and sometimes I also host online events as well. So there's a lot going on, but I feel like there's not a lot of time to waste with getting to these women who really need it. And in 2019, 3,800 women Googled, am I a bad mum? Like I could cry, you know, but it also enrages me because I'm like, how are we not set up to support these women in their most vulnerable stage? But if this many women are searching for it, I just hope that they find us. I hope they find the club and they know that we acknowledge them, we see them, they are heard, like all aspects of their journey. And you know what? I actually did a a recall of my uh, own personal journey with personal depression and I actually remember within my interview and if anyone listens back to it or if has listened there's a reference at some point that I do actually say never did I not love Max because I felt like I had to I felt like I had to say I wasn't hating on my child but was I hating my role probably yeah actually definitely (laughs) it doesn't have to be one or the other I can love my children be a great mom and then at the same time not loving it and really wanting to vent all of that frustration, there's enough room. And I think that's where we're set up to fail in that respect because we feel like we need to be at a certain level that hides how we really feel because we don't want people to think that we hate our kids. Mm, Absolutely. You know, obviously you have a bit of a story behind what led you to start Bad Mums Club in your own, you know, with your children. Do you want to share a little bit about your journey and what your you know, life in parenthood looked like during those first four and a half years at home? Yeah, well, take it back even further. So when I was in my early 20s, I started to notice some OCD behaviour and not healthy habits. And I was getting anxious about going out for social occasions, in my work, just in general life. And for five years, I struggled with figuring out what the fuck is going on. This is not normal, but everyone around me seemed to be doing the same things as an early 20-year-old. We were living our best life, drinking all weekend. It'd take me into a whirlwind of self-loathing and then I'd do it all again the next weekend. So for five years, I really struggled with that. God bless my then boyfriend, now husband, because it would have been a really rough thing to be an observer and a, a bystander too. And I got help after five years and then it was identified as anxiety. So then leading into motherhood, I already knew I had anxiety, but I'm like, I am all over this. But I really wasn't. I wasn't ready for the impact it would have. And I made all the people who were part of the process, the maternal health and child nurse, my midwives, all that, that I had anxiety and I did a mind-body baby course with the hospital. People were across it kind of like I put air quotes across it in theory and then having my children and you know what it's like the lack of sleep the poor eating 
habits that you have, massive amounts of caffeine and alcohol, but then also the the shift in where you were in society. I really struggled with my new role and it very much led to isolation, disconnection, lack of worth. And again, same time, had a great pregnancy, easy labour for both, bonded with my kids, breastfed easily. Like I was textbook, really. But yet I still feel like mental health got me. Like I always say it got me, but it was always, I guess, underlying but it just amplified it and it ramped it up and I had undiagnosed postnatal depression. And when I say undiagnosed, I mean that when I was going through it, like the very worst of it, I did not know that's what it was. I just thought it was part and parcel of the motherhood journey. That's what people would kind of say to you. This is, this is what it's like. You'd be like, cool, I just have to suck it up because this is really shit, but okay, I have to suck it up. And I just thought it was anxiety. And I was like, oh, it's just anxiety. I'll just wait for it to pass. But it felt different. You know, with anxiety, you future think and you catastrophize. And I call that my rut. But the P&D was this fog and it was the brain fog and the confusion over every decision I was making and could not get any clarity on who I was, who I wanted to be, what was best for my children. Like, I'm not feeding them the right amount of vegetables. Oh, my God, I'm the worst mum in the whole world. I was like, really? Like now coming through it, I'm like, really, dude? Like I always say this to mums. You are doing the very best you can with what you have in that moment and that is enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I did seek help on and off but due to logistics of having a newborn and taking them to my psychology appointments, um, like that's fun. Now you've got them in the little baby carrier next to you and you're, you're weeping and they're crying and you're trying to breastfeed and then tell your therapist like you're hating life right now. It was a really hard struggle for me. But as I know you found it as well, people would not have known. It's so easy to put on a front when you're around people, isn't it? And also like I don't know if you found this, Lisa, but I genuinely as an extrovert, I think I actually probably did feel better when I was out and about in my previous role of being Jen, the social, you know, like I was back, I was back being me. And then it was back into the isolation of home. and Yeah, like Groundhog Day. And I think for me, I didn't really understand. And coming through Bad Mums Club has been a really cathartic journey for me. And I've had a lot of friends say to me and my family saying, we didn't know it was that bad. Like, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, I didn't know it was that bad. Like, yes, I kind of hid some things, but there were other things that I hid subconsciously and I think I hid it to myself. So it's not as if I sat there and went, how can I fool everybody? It was like, I don't even know what's going on right now. I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And there's a lot of other mums going through the same thing. So why am I so special that I need to be like, hey, struggling right here. Like, let's have a pity party. This is where I like I want to get to where it's like all feelings are valid. There's no competition in who's got it worse. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, like you're hitting the nail on the head is that. So in my work, what I see is there's a few different types of mums. They're the ones that think, oh, it could be worse, so I won't complain. And there's the ones, we were speaking about this off air, that think it's just a phase. This too shall pass. And so and I, before we started recording, like we're talking about our hatred for, you know, the phrase that this too shall pass. Because we were saying, yeah, totally is transitions in parenthood. But when we say this too shall pass, like what do you think it's telling mums, Lisa? 
Well, it's discrediting their feelings and and their thought processes and their behaviour. And it's saying that we are not ready to hear what you've got to say. I can't handle what you've got going on. So it's just going to pass. As in, for me, it's just going to pass because I can't handle it as a bystander. But for the person in it who's going through, it's like, okay, so I can't talk to you about this. Like, you're not acknowledging that this is a thing. Like, this is a legitimate thing. It's just a phase in air quotes and I think it is very disempowering of women being able to advocate for themselves. I've been to a GP who because I had the baby with me and I was asking for a mental health check I walked in the door he goes how are you I burst into tears I said I'm really not coping and he's like you've got postnatal depression I'm like don't fucking label me as soon as I walk in the door you've just asked me a question I'm exhausted and because the baby's here you're going to instantly label me It's not as if he was incorrect, but I'm saying these things are just thrown around with no ownership of how impactful it can be to mothers. These phrases, this advice, and I think people really need to stop and think about what they're saying and how it can really impact women's mental health. 100%. And I know that I get that when someone says this too shall pass, it's supposed to make them feel better. But as you said, it just minimizes, like if a mum's saying, oh, my baby is waking like a hundred times and like the subcontext to that is my baby's waking a hundred times at night. I'm exhausted. I'm not enjoying my role as a mum. I don't know what to do. They're not saying those four other things. They're just saying my baby's waking overnight, but it's that impact. And when you say, oh, it's just a phase, don't worry. It's the four months sleep regression or it's this, it's everything that's going on underneath the initial what what we say and what is actually happening underneath is not same same (laughs) unless you're Jen Butler and then you like talk about everything and just wear your heart in your place but anyway that's a whole nother story (laughs) but I think it's interesting because what I do and I know I do fall back into these habitual conversations where I'm like oh my god are they going through sleep regression or oh yeah they're 18 months oh my god fuck it's going to be really hard for two months but then I'm like but how are you and they're like oh I'm okay I'm like no mate how are you like can we break it down and when people have new babies all the attention's on the baby and the mum's like dude I just created and delivered life like bit of high five action over here I always say how are you they're like oh the baby's fine the label's fine no no I don't care about that are you okay like your baby's fine everyone knows it's fine and even if it's not let's talk about that separately are you okay when you have a child or when you become a parent you do not lose who you are you are not invalid as a human being you're not redundant in this world once you become a parent your child does not then represent everything about you there might be like a hundred photos on your phone hundred photos in your feed but they're not who you are they're not your identity you're allowed to have something separate yeah I'm sitting here just like smiling away just thinking oh my god this is like exactly how I feel but for every mum there is this thing that happens, this shift that happens, and this constant theme comes up for me of mum guilt. The minute you take a step away from your child, and, like, I, I get mum guilt, like, we all get it, but isn't it the most weirdest things? Dads go out, they don't think about this. They go out and they do them. Yeah, but is there a hashtag dad's life? Don't think so. Like, we've got, we've got a whole 
marketing campaign completely centered on making you feel like shit. So then you go and buy something and look for external things to make you feel better. And I'm here to say that if you make yourself feel worthy and acknowledged and work on yourself, then everything else will fall into line. There is nothing outside of you. There's no item you can buy that will make you feel hashtag mum success. I mean, there was before we were a mum. Like I won't go into full rant town, but society has set us up as women to feel less superior anyway. And so we become a mum and it's like I was just writing about this this morning that when I became a mum, a stay-at-home mum, I lost my worth in society because I was not contributing financially to the family home or financially to society. So it devalued my role as a stay-at-home mum. I also then said that I couldn't spend any money because I wasn't mine. And so when it's a society that's based on financial success and worth, like think of all the people we respect because they earn a certain amount of money or people who have no income that they don't get the level of respect. Like there's a whole societal thing here, but I really struggled with the role. I really struggled with who I am now because I was Lisa yesterday, then I was Lisa pregnant Lisa, and now I'm mum. And even though I love my kid, what the fuck? No one wants to talk to me because I don't have anything valuable to say and not contributing to society. And all you do is just talk about, you know, mum stuff anyway. You're like, I'm still a person. I'm still a human being over here. Anyway, I've gone into rant town. I know. And that's what it shows, your passion. And like, I share the passion with you because everything you're saying, I'm just like nodding my head going, oh my God, I hear you. And I guess we've had similar transitions into motherhood where you do, you'd lose that like you know, and I I was talking about someone with this recently that she had a um, four month old baby. And we were just talking about how, like it took me back to that time. And she was saying how, you know, bub has a feed and then they have a play and then they're having more awake time now. And she's like, I don't know what to do next. Like, and I said, it took me back. I did this like warp back into time where I was like, oh my God, I remember that so vividly. And I was just, I was bored. I was so bloody bored. And it was just all that part of this, like I'd lost the busy Jen who was at work hustling and doing her thing and loving life and oh, there's just so much about that transition. Yeah, I was feeling the gaps with having to have a functioning household. So that was my new job. And so I had to make sure, and this is when my anxiety sort of ramped up, I had to make sure that I was on top of everything. Everything was cleaned. Everything was folded. Like, oh, my God, I had to make sure that the baby's clothes were folded in a certain way. Um, The feng shui of the room, because that would have helped. All these things that I needed to go, I'm a successful human being, even though I'm not earning a wage. I'm a successful human being because my house is fine and my baby's fine. But then when it all came down and when it all fell to shit, then I was like, I have no worth whatsoever. I can't even put the laundry out today. Like, what does that look like? How am I um, being a great mum when I can't even get her to eat, you know, three different kinds of fruit and vegetable? Like, I'm failing. I was going to say, like, there's, there's going to be mums who listen into this and are worrying those same things. And it, it takes a lot of self-reflection and hopefully having these conversations to really go, like, this stuff, it doesn't matter. But as you keep saying, Lisa, What's going on for you? What is going on for you to be 
worrying about this stuff and for it to be, is it consuming your thoughts? Is it keeping you up at night? Is it stressing you out so much that, yeah, is this a problem? Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, we were talking about this, about how we can, you know, commiserate and say how bad it was, but also where do we go and how do we help people through it? And for me, I say if you can sit down and map out the things that you've done today and what was your intention behind it? Was it for yourself? Was it for someone else? And how does it make you feel? What would happen if you didn't do it? And play the why game. Oh, the what next game, sorry. So what next? So I didn't unload the dishwasher. What next? What next? What next? Is someone going to die today because you didn't unpack the dishwasher? And is it because you're worried about what people think about you, what you, how you perceive yourself, what people might say? When you nut out what the intention behind your actions are and really filter out what is worthy of your time, value your time and your energy, then you start to let things go and you let them go without resentment or fear. And I'm telling you, I've been a mum now for, what are we at, six and a half years. In the last year, I have given up so much stuff. My kids are still alive. They're thriving. They're still grumpy as F, but they're thriving. I don't do certain things. I am now in a partnership with my husband. We are parenting together and the ownership isn't on me as the only person who can raise these children and keep a house functioning. And it has been a breath of fresh air that just because I chose to have a child doesn't mean that I am the only single person who is responsible for every single part of their life. All right, Lisa. So given all of that, what I would love to talk about is what do you think is lacking in Australia and probably we'll keep it to Australia, but what do you think is lacking for mums heading into motherhood or for mums who are perhaps in it, living, breathing this right now and potentially feeling exactly this? I always link it back to education. and in all parts of the process. I think that everybody involved in the motherhood journey, so doctors, midwives, nurses, maternal child health, family, friends, we need to have a holistic approach to care and everyone needs to be on the same train. There's a lot of conflicting evidence and advice. There are doctors who want to do cesareans, there are midwives who want to do home births, but no one's asking what the woman wants. And I think we need to teach our to-be mothers and even our mothers that they have the ability and they have the permission to advocate for themselves. Go with your gut feeling. If you've lost connection to it, try and find that again and practice it daily. But education on things you know, we're so good at teaching mums the medical side of the birth. Well, the perfect scenario of birth. And we don't educate them on the full physical changes, the emotional and social and mental changes that happen before, during and after. You know, my mum, I, I was like, I said to my mum, why didn't you tell me how bad this would be? You know, she's a mum of four. I'm like, how did you not warn me? And she goes, I didn't want to scare you. And I think Perhaps that's a generational thing, but for me, I think that knowledge is power and I'm not scared by that. I go, wow, that's going to be really fucking hard. How do I empower myself and enable myself to prepare? And education, key, key. And it starts, I think, even 
as young children. It really needs to start. Um, we need to start educating not just women but men too, our, our boys and girls, on what it is to be a parent and not sort of wrap it up in this little fairy tale bubble. We don't have to, like, scare the shit out of them, but we do need to educate them on the realities of it. Like my daughter this morning said, Mum, I don't know. She's she's five and a half. Mum, I don't know if I want to be a mum or not. It's all about having babies at the moment. That's all the, the school kids are talking about. And I'm like, well, you kind of don't have to decide. Like, it's not something you need to worry about right now. She says, but I'm not really sure if I want to have a baby. Like, I know it's going to hurt. I said, well, hun... It's not so much the having the baby that is something you need to think about. It's about being a mum for the rest of your life. So, so true. This is the problem is there is everyone is investing so much time and effort into one day of their, like the pregnancy obviously is nine months and we're learning along the way about the growth and we're buying the apps and we're learning how, like if our kid's a pumpkin or a melon this week and, you know, like all of this stuff, so much, you know, it's, and it's exciting. Like I, I think that we do that for, it's, it excites the anticipation, it's amazing. And then it stops and then you have this baby, no more education's put into it. You ask your neighbour and your mother-in-law and your mother's group and everyone's flying blindly about where to from here and no one's going, well, what am I actually supposed to be doing right now? Like let's look at parenting as a job. In what job are you given something and gone, there you go, good luck? There's no manual, there's no future education, there's no encouragement to get further education as you become a parent of older children. Like we've just gone through some amazing work for our five-and-a-half-year-old and one of the key things was like you aren't told that it's okay to keep empowered and educated like it doesn't just stop when you have the baby or when the baby's out of the survival mode do it for yourself I think foremost do it for yourself instead of going I need to do that because I want my kid to be happy so if they happy do you then fail no do it for yourself because you want to be the parent that you want to be you want to be the self that you want to be and we talked about this subscribing to a version of motherhood that serves you Absolutely. And I like the thing I always, always, always say, I rant on and on about it, but I'm like, knowledge is power. When you know what's going on, when you have the knowledge, when you understand it, like it doesn't necessarily stop things. Like, and obviously I'm in the world of working with families around sleep feeding behavior. So tantrums do not stop. Just because I know how to handle a tantrum does not mean that Ted doesn't piff toys at my head and that I don't have to deal with like wrangling a toddler in the coffee shop. All of this happens to me, but what doesn't happen is I don't worry. I don't stay up at night worrying about it. I deal with it in that moment and I move on because I have that knowledge and like, and it normalizes things then. And I don't have to worry, you know, and it gives me a tool of this is what I need to do to tackle it like so you're so right and I think another thing that I'd really love to touch on is so many mums that I know did not have the birthing experience that they thought they would have and it led to either an emergency caesar or quite horrific circumstances and they did not feel in that moment that they had the authority to say, I don't want that option. 
So for instance, I had a friend who the doctors came in and said, we're going to do this. And she's like, no, I do not want that option. They're like, well, that's kind of too bad because I've got a golf game at three o'clock. So we're going to just induce you now. And so all of this with not having the, the magical journey of motherhood, not having a vaginal birth, not having a drug-free birth, like whatever, then they come out going, well, I can't really talk about it. I failed. I didn't get the one that I, I didn't get the option that I wanted. I didn't get this, that and the other. And then they're left already feeling disempowered, disengaged. And we don't acknowledge that either. You know, we could just hone in on certain things and educate women on certain things, but there has to be a holistic approach and a preventative and proactive approach to their mental health, number one, mental health and physical and emotional health. You zone in on one thing and then it doesn't continue on to the next thing. You know, you don't just wake up the next day and go, oh, I had enough sleep. So then something else isn't going to happen. It's all connected. That's the best way we can help these mothers. Yeah, preparation is key. And like as you said, education, because I really um, am passionate about the whole education side of things because if you know something's coming, does it stop it from coming? No, but it's going to come anyway. So is it not better to know and not be scared when it comes and to be prepared for the, what the future holds? Like this is exactly what you're saying is that I remember saying to a girlfriend when I had Max, why didn't you tell me what motherhood was like? And she said the same response to you that, well, I didn't want to scare you. And of course we don't want to scare, but it's also a very good thing to go in and understand what it's going to look like. Yeah, no one's talked about it, so I must be the only one going through this. Like I have a neighbour and she's about to have her second and her husband was here and I just said, congratulations, good luck. If you need anything, and I mean anything, come at me because it's going to hit you and that's okay. But know that there are people around here for you because that second time, third time round, people go, "It's, it's easier. Yeah, it is, but you've never had that before. And so going on that point, actually, how do you think that us mums, so mums that have had babies, wherever you are, whether it's first, second, third, how can we help other mums in this situation? Yeah, like for me, I instantly go to, okay, what would I desperately love? I'd love someone to cook for me, to clean for me, to rub my feet, like look after my kids, which again, if anyone wants to do it for me, I'm not going to say no. But I think the best way we can help is to be the example. So if you want a friend to open up to you about when they're in their most vulnerable, because I found it quite hard, be the example. Start having conversations around, really open and honest conversations around how you're feeling, how you've noticed perhaps them feeling. Like, I've noticed you feeling this way. Is there anything we, you know, you want to talk to me about? And show an understanding. So, oh, I saw this woman at the playground the other day and her kid was having a tanty and I was like oh my gosh I feel for her start putting examples in your conversation so then when this person needs it they know you are a trusted friend and they're more likely to come to you and everyone in my community is like we want to know how we can help help yourself first and be open to the conversation when it comes you know what one of the most dismissive things, and people don't mean it again, like if anyone's thinking, oh, God, I've said this to you before, Jen, people mean well. They're not meaning to do it. But when you say something, because I'm a pretty open book in, and I love what you're saying, lead by example, have those vulnerable conversations and don't be afraid 
of what the other person's thinking because you're only allowing them to be vulnerable too. But when someone says, it'll all be okay, don't worry about it. People mean well when they say that, but you're not going to go to those people where what you want to do is you just want to be heard. You're not looking for solutions. You're just looking for an ear to listen, someone to go, I hear you. It bloody sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, acknowledgement. So do active listening. Acknowledge. Don't compare. Don't try to fix. I don't want to be fixed. Like, fuck, I just want to be acknowledged. And if if you don't have the vocabulary, then the body language eye contact, hand on their shoulder, have that softness. Like body language is just as important. I've got people in my life where conversation, communication, verbal communication is not their strongest point. But if I had a hand on my back, rubbing my back going, I see like I'm welling up right now because that to me is like, oh, someone is feeling my pain right now. You know, it's a relief. And there's so much power in the unspoken word too but you need to be open and vulnerability is not weakness it's strength oh 100 percent. like I actually think the the more honest you can be about life and stuff and everything and and be more like it's an emotion it's an emotional intelligence like our generations are getting better in being able to express emotions but there's a lot of work to be done but this is just god we could probably go on and on couldn't we because it's just the but if this is the very least that you can do like it's just be open to someone who is showing the cracks of wanting to open up another really beautiful one i was listening to michelle from sane she was talking about how to give someone advice or how to help a mother and a really great suggestion was if they have a, an appointment with a doctor offer to drive them because then they know that there's someone there, they've got an accountability buddy, they've got a support network, and then they can't not go. I'll stay in the car, but I'm here for you. And it's just an extra thing to go, okay, all right, I can do this, I can do this. And then just after that, them being in that situation, they also feel that there's it's a shared, they've shared something with you and then you're saying to them, they don't have to talk to you about it, but you're ultimately saying if you need to, I'm here, like I'm a safe person. Now, one thing I wanted to touch upon before um, we wrap up, you put a quote up on your Instagram recently that I loved. And again, it's something that's sung to my soul. But the quote itself was, self-care isn't selfish. That was the way it was written. Can you elaborate a bit on that and tell me a bit more about your thoughts around that? Yeah, so for me, self-care shouldn't be an escape from your life. It should be a gateway to the life that you want because there's so much loading on the word self-care that it actually blocks women from doing it. So I'm here to give you permission, women, all the women listening, can we just cut the crap and get the things in our life that we need to get us by and to thrive, not just survive. So there's, again, the propaganda machines that say you need to buy XYZ or you need to do XYZ to have, quotes, self-care that self-care is a luxury and you have to earn it to deserve it. And I am here to say that self-care is whatever you choose it to be, however it looks and works for you, but it is something that you absolutely 100% need and the only reason why you have it is for self. So get everybody else in your family on board, schedule it in your diary, don't come near mum, 
when I'm doing this. This is the time I need to then, I'm not going to say be a better mum, but just be a better me. Like originally it was my mother-in-law very um, lovingly said, I'll come up and look after the kids. You can have some me time. Now that me time, I really resented because it was like, well, fuck, I'm going to go and do the grocery shopping and run around and do all the errands that I can't do. And so the me time for me was a bit of a cop out and I started to really resent it. And then recently I've redefined it because I think we get caught up in what it is, what it isn't. So then we don't do it or it's not done properly. We get disappointed. Kids come in mid, I don't know, down face dog yoga session. And you're like, God, you know, they've ruined my self-care time. It doesn't have to be an extended period of time. It could literally be five minutes of conscious, intentive thinking. So for me, if I look outward, I say, okay, a hot cup of tea, a nice shower, long shower by myself, going to the toilet without a family meeting. God, that's like that's <laughs> self-care for me. I've recently really leaned into yoga and meditation for my mental health. But the biggest thing that I've started to do is listen to my body and know my cues. And that's proper self-care for me. That is psychological and physical self-care and also trusting my gut. Because it's something we do lose connection with, you know, when you've got people in power, doctors, nurses, politicians, whatever, bosses telling us that life should be a certain way, then we, and experts telling us that we should be doing things and we're like, oh, I kind of feel like I should be doing that. But okay, I'll go and outsource. And we lose that connection to self and to gut. So for me, I've been really focusing in on what brings me energy, what takes my energy. My day-to-day is dependent on that and that's self-care for me. It's not, it's not like a once-off thing. Self-care is all day, every day. Find little tiny snippets where you can have it and I'm telling you, it keeps you sane. It really does. Yeah, like my self-care that I would say if I was to really strip it back, something that I value is that the boys are in bed by 7. They go to bed by 7 and that time where I just get to relax and usually just watch mindless TV and just chill the hell out. That's my daily self-care. And then I add to that with scheduling, all right, hubby, I'm going to the gym for the next hour or I'm going away for this weekend. Like at the start of the year, I went away for two nights, guilt-free. Like I did work during that time, but mostly it was also I just need to reset, recharge and tell you what, best thing I ever bloody did. The quiet in the brain and the people who go, oh, you're so lucky are the ones that wish they could, but they won't give themselves permission. But just on the self-care thing, I was thinking about this today. Did dads think about self-care or do they just do stuff? This is it. They just do stuff and they don't say, Dale, I'm just going to do my self-care. Women need to label things so then they can allow them to do it. Just do the damn thing. Get it done. Just like chuck it on your list like you would your to-do list of, all right, today I've got to do shopping. Today I've got to unload the dishwasher. Today I've got to go for 10 minutes and read my book on my own. That is literally how it should look. Anything that allows quiet, that is like my go-to. Like noise is a massive trigger for me. So, and no technology. I've started doing swimming because then I can't be on my phone. So I'm swimming, I got white noise and I'm like, that is my ultimate self-care right now. I mean, being in swimmers, not great, not my favourite thing to do. But if I can just block out for half an hour and it's exercise, so I'm like, win, 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 win. There you go. Tick, ticks all round. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Oh. All right, Lisa. So... 
just to wrap up, I'm wondering if you have any final messages or things that you did want to say to my listeners, say to mums out there. I want to drop some stats. So one in 10 women experience antenatal depression. One in six experience or can experience postnatal depression. In 2017, the highest rate of maternal death was suicide. (sighs) Absolutely shocking. Like shocking. The levels are so high. For me, the fact that women think that opting out is their only choice proves to us that our mission needs to be heard and people need to hear more of it. So we need to normalise the struggle instead of saying that it is abnormal. And the statistics also, because I fall into a lot of categories with mental health issues, with depression, anxiety, PND, those statistics are alarming but also a little bit comforting because I know I'm not alone. I'm not the first person who's gone through this struggle. I won't be the last. I'm trying to help as many as I can, and this is why I do what I do. But for the women out there who are really struggling, who are crying on their floor right now with their bubs in their arms, they're not alone. Sorry, I get really emotional. This is beautiful. Um, We see them. We hear them. And there is a better option in life and there are resources out there. Now, I didn't think that I was ever sick enough to call Beyond Blue. You don't need to be sick. You don't need a valid reason. If you are feeling like you're just not having a great day, please reach out to somebody, your trusted friend, your partner, write it in a journal, get it out of your head. I just don't want women to think like they're alone in this. It's isolating I'm so passionate about making sure that women don't fall through the cracks like I did. Yeah, so that's why I do what I do with the club. That's why I speak out in the community. I speak in businesses. I'm getting the word out. We need to drop the stigma. We need to normalise. We need to celebrate. We need to embrace. And we need to make sure that everybody knows there is a legitimate impact on mothers' mental health. Your passion is infectious. Like, and it's, I'm sitting there like, I've got tears in my eyes. I've had goosebumps running up and down my body, like throughout this whole interview, like, and so I hope there's going to be so many mums who are listening and I know damn well that it's going to resonate with them and hopefully kick some bums into action of going, holy shit, like I either have to be more open and vulnerable or I am that person, like, you know, or a mixture of the two. They can go, so they're always welcome to jump on over and be part of the club. Like I hang out on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. You can have a look at my new and fancy website at www.badmumsclub.com, but you're more than welcome. You just come as you are. I don't care where you're at in your motherhood journey. Um, I've got a lot of followers who aren't mums and they say to me, thank God we found you before we became a mum. And I've got a lot of mums who are like, I wish I'd found you when I was, you know, an early mum. I've got some really big and ambitious plans coming up in the wings. Can't really tell you too much right now, but we are going to make our voice known. There is going to be a huge impact and there's going to be some serious social changes and we are going to influence policy. Not going to say anymore, but we need people behind this. We really need, I need as many eyeballs, as many hearts as we can and many hands behind this because it's time and we're just going to get it done. I'm not asking for permission anymore. We're just getting it done. Yeah, I love that. 
Wow. And so what's your Instagram handle too so mums can find you? Bad Mums Club. So it's bad.mums.club. And then on Facebook, I have Bad Mums Club and Bad Mums Club Melbourne. Follow me on the main page on Bad Mums Club. Bad Mums Club Melbourne's just like a little side hangout so no one else could take my handle. So if you want to keep all up to date with the goss in the conversations and then see what um, events I have come up because I host quite a few events or events that I'm speaking at where they can get involved that way as well. And, of course, I love to chat on podcasts. So if people want me, come get me. I'm here. I'm open and I'm ready to talk. Wow, I cannot, like, this has just been such a valuable conversation today, Lisa, and it's exciting. I can't wait to bring it to everyone. And, yeah, if you're not going through this, someone you know is, like, those stats will tell you that in a mother's group of around, on average, 10 people, that every sixth mum, there is at least one to two of you in there struggling. And if you haven't yet, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that you're not going to become a statistic. The other really important thing that I'd love to touch on is that you don't have to have a diagnosis to feel like you can't be a part of this kind of conversation. Like I've had mum say to me, oh, I don't have depression, but I really I really like what you do. And I'm like, this is open for everybody because what we're saying is we're normalising the struggle and the juggle. There's not like a check-in at the door saying you can't be a part of this unless you have a diagnosis because a lot of people go undiagnosed as well. Yeah, it's retrospect. They look back and go, oh, Maybe I wasn't quite myself, you know. Retrospect actually is quite often how people realise that they've experienced um, PND, which is exactly why you're doing what you're doing, so that it's not retrospective. It's actually, oh, shit, I've got to do something right now. So thank you so much for being on here, Lisa. It's just been absolutely wonderful. And thank you. We'll talk to you again sometime. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group, or tag me at Jen Butler Early Parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, mama.